before we get into this, I just want to let you know at some point in time, there is a clip of me screaming because Bailey scared me. So this is your jump scare warning. Welcome back to another episode of the Spooky Ripped Jean Mom. My name is Peyton Kennedy, and I am so glad you guys are back. So fun fact, this is my second time recording this because I went to, I was like editing. I edit as I go because I don't like the sound of my own voice. So I had redone a part, but it wasn't as long as the other part that I had originally, like that I was recording over. And so I went to delete the part that I didn't need anymore. It was 100% honest to God, the only part highlighted. And I said delete and it deleted my whole episode. So with that being said, we're redoing it, which I'm glad I am. Because at the end of what I had been recording, I was letting you guys know some like podcast stuff that I was like that was going on with me. And... Well, and a couple updates. I guess there were more updates than anything on the podcast, but I had paused it because Bailey wanted to come in and get his laundry. So I paused and he came in and I was like, dang, you were fast because he had texted me like five minutes before I'd seen it. And I was like, were you just waiting out there for me? And he goes, yeah. And by the way, you said, I'm a lot. And then when I told him the whole track's deleted, he said, well, now you can catch your ums. In case you were wondering, you know what happened? Um, Bailey opened up the door while I was recording and um, said true. And I didn't realize he opened the door and he um, scared the shit out of me. Which is why um, at the beginning I said there is a jump scare warning of me screaming because he scared me. And I'm so, so sorry. I'm so, so sorry. But it was also funny, so that's why I left it in. It's like when Leia jumped up on the door and scared me. So anyway, what I originally said at the end... I will say again, and if you hear me struggling this time, it's because I'm trying really hard not to say, um, so let's just jump right into Idaho, Utaho, anyway. So, we are going to talk about Flypaper Lydia. Her real name is Lydia Southard. Her birth name was Anna Elizabeth Trueblood. I could only find, um who her dad was, which was William Trueblood. And I want to stop real fast because what I forgot to mention since Bailey scared me was this play takes place back in the early 1900s. So because of that, I read probably 10 articles and out of all 10, besides one, they said either two years before or two years after the dates that I have down. And the one article that really had a whole lot of information for me was kind of like the median. It was either two years before or two years after a majority of these articles. So some dates may not be true. Also, one of the people, um, Lorraine, she's two. She dies in this story, in this case. Um, in five or six articles, she's one of the first ones to unfortunately pass away. But in other articles, she's the third person to pass away. So timelines may not be historically accurate. Um, just because it happened so long ago, it's hard to kind of gauge when certain the timelines of things. So with that being said, let's get back to it. Um, Lydia was born on October 16th, 1892. She was a Libra. My mom's going to be really upset to know that they both are Libras. And she was the third out of 11 kids. Only thing about her family was that they went to church. 
Lydia was, though, described as petite. She had blue eyes, red hair, very popular, very charming. People said, in quotes, her good looks attracted men like fly flies to a honeypot, end quote. Um, so just very, very gorgeous, gorgeous girl. When she was a kid, um, they lived in Kittysville, Missouri. I hope I pronounced that correctly. And while they were, while they lived there, um, the Dooley family and the True Blood family were family friends. And Robert Dooley fell in love with Linda, Lydia, Lydia. And when Lydia moved to Twin Falls, Idaho with her family, they bought land and began to grow crops. Robert Dooley and his family followed a couple months later. And, and then all the kids attended Twin Falls High School. March of 1912, when Lydia was 19, she and Mary, she and Robert got married. They built a house on Robert's land and they lived there with Ed Dooley, who was Robert's older brother. In some sources, it said they built a house on Robert's land, and in other sources, it says that it was Ed's land, and they lived with Ed. Not that led, Ed lived with them. Um, in 1914, Lydia gave birth to their first and only child. They named her Lorraine, and some sources say, though, her birthday was September 16th, 1913, and not, not 1914. Unfortunately, in 1916, Lorraine died, and Lydia said it was from drinking dirty well water. It wasn't really investigated much into it other than taking Lydia's word. And later that year, Ed died from a painful illness, which they listed as typhoid fever, which is now either food poisoning or just drinking bad water. Also, if you hear anything like slight muffling, it's Bailey playing video games. In some sources, it said that Lydia told police that Ed had ate bad salmon from a can. Ed had a $2,000 life insurance policy, and a few months prior to him passing, it was only $1,000, which today, $1,000 back then equals um, $26,524, and $2,000 today equals $53,047. So because um, Ed had Lydia and Robert both listed as beneficiaries, they both got $1,000. Robert and Lydia took out life insurance policies together for each of them for $2,500, which today that would be around $63,809. In October 1916, Robert ended up getting sick with the same symptoms as Ed, his brother, and he ended up dying on October 12th, 1916. His listed cause of death was typhoid fever, which they explained it off as well as just drinking bad water. This means, though, if we're, you know, tracking the math, Lydia received a total of $3,500 in two months. Um, which means that it was roughly around $93,000 today. So now Lydia's in her mid-20s, about 25, 26 years old. She's all alone. She's still living on Robert's house, well, in Robert's house and on his land, but she's living off the insurance money, which back then it was totally doable because it was so much. 
Not even a year later, though, Linda met William McCaffle, and in June of 1917, they got married. Now, remember, her husband, Robert, died October 12th, 1916, so not even a year after her husband passed away. So, with the $3,500, her and William moved to Montana, where William was originally born, and they got a ranch in Hardin. So I just texted Bailey because I took a pause to get a drink real fast. And I, I asked him if I was doing better with my ums. And he opened the door right as I hit record. Thank God I only jumped. And I did not scream again. But he's like, I'm not listening. I have my headphones on. Sir, you did not have to scare me like that again. That was rude. That is rude. Okay, so William did not have a life insurance policy out, and Lydia ended up convincing him to take out one for $5,000 with some articles. With other articles, it says she convinced him to take out a life insurance policy, but it was only $500. Either way, in the in upcoming statements, you'll see why it doesn't matter what it was. Um, because William only made occasional payments on it. He was not up to date on his payments whatsoever, and he ended up dying October 1st, 1917, almost a full year after Robert did, um, and he also died from a severe case of the flu. The cause of death was influenza. So, at this time, you're probably like, girl, are you sure it's not a Spanish flu? It was just the regular flu, but the Spanish flu pandemic was going on which meant that they didn't perform an autopsy on William, so they just took Lydia's word for what happened. Um, and so, with that, um, Lydia went to collect her money from the life insurance company, and they're like, yo, he's not up to date. You don't see a dime. Lydia didn't get anything from William when he passed away. So, then, in March of 1919, Lydia married a man named Harlan Lewis, Harlan, in some articles, was an automotive engineer. In other articles, he was a car salesman, but he was from Billings, Montana. They had only been married for four months when Harlan died in July of 1919. The cause of death was gastroenteritis. I have to say that one slow because it was such a difficult one for me to say the last time, the first time I recorded this. Um, Gastroenteritis is the infection of the gastrointestinal tract that causes severe abdominal pain, weakness, and diarrhea. He also had a $5,000 life insurance policy, though, out, and he named Lydia the beneficiary. So today, $5,000 equals almost $113,000. Now, Lydia is a third-time widow, and at this point, she just moves back to Idaho. She went by Anna Mae McCaffle. I don't know where May came from. Um, but she met Edward F. Meyer, who went by Ed. And he was a ranch foreman in Pacteo, Idaho. They got married on August 10th, 1920. And he did take out a life insurance policy for her. It was $10,000. And in, you know, if to she got that today, it would be almost $145,000. Now, Ed died on my birthday. Ed died 
September 7th, 1920. And my birthday is September 7th. I'm not going to tell you the year because once I do, I know my friend was going to text me when she listens to this and she will be like, you just can't give your full birthday out onto the internet to people you may not know because then they can find you. So I'm not going to give my full birthday, but we do, Ed died on my birthday and, um, they were only married for three weeks. His cause of fever, his cause of fever, his cause of death was also typhoid fever, which was a bacterial disease spread through contaminated food and water or close contact to either one of those. Now, Robert, the first husband, had a relative. Didn't say how he was related, but was a relative. His name was Earl Dooley. He was a chemist. And with all these people dying around Lydia, he started to get very suspicious of her. So, uh, especially because he had seen Edward a couple days before he died. And he said that Edward just looked super, super sick. So, he went to the farm that they live on where Lydia said Edward had died. And he took a soil sample from where Lydia said Edward had fallen. Um... He took it back to his lab, he had it tested, and he found that there was arsenic in it. He had a fellow physician, Dr. Hale, Hal, 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 G. Beeler, and another chemist, Edwin F. Roddenbuck, conduct their own study and testing with the sample. Both agreed with Earl, saying they had also found arsenic, and all three concluded that Edward was poisoned with arsenic, and Earl notified the police. The problem with arsenic poisoning, which I shouldn't tell people this, I shouldn't tell you guys this, but I will, but I can't be, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I can't be held accountable if one of y'all kill someone and use this as a way, just because I said it. You can look this up. It's science. You can look it up. I cannot be held accountable. But arsenic poisoning is hard to detect because it's tasteless and it's odorless. Symptoms also include abdominal pain, cramps, diarrhea, weakness, and seizures, which can be mistaken for typhoid symptoms, diphtheria symptoms, and gastroenteritis symptoms. Um, Frank Stephen, he was the state prosecuting attorney. And uh, he had Robert Dooley exhumed and tested for arsenic poisoning. After he was tested, they found that he contained enough arsenic to kill five men. The rest of the bodies were exhumed. That included her two other husbands, her daughter, and her brother-in-law. And in any of the articles, I couldn't just get a clear answer besides the fact that some bodies had traces of arsenic still and others were suspected of arsenic poisoning due to how well the bodies were preserved. Lorraine was only two when she passed, and her results came back inconclusive, though they did believe she was poisoned because she had the exact same symptoms as everyone else who had passed. At this point, Frank Stevens issues a warrant for Lydia's arrest. It also allowed police to uh, search her home, so Deputy Sheriff Virgil Armsby went to Lydia's home, but she wasn't there while they were there, though, they did find a barrel with flypaper stacked a foot high. How she gets the name, Flypaper Lydia. And um, the issue with flypaper, they are used to, you know, catch flies. But they contain arsenic. And the way you can get arsenic out, again, cannot be held accountable if one of y'all do this, 
is they boil or soak the flypaper in a pot and it you can collect the arsenic that way. During the search to find Lydia, Virgil meets a drug dealer in Montana and says that Lydia bought a large amount of flypaper from him. So at this point, police are trying to find a motive for why she'd want to kill Edward and possibly everyone else. And they ended up, police searched records of the Idaho State Life Insurance Company. All four policies from her husband had been taken out and all listing Lydia as the beneficiary. And so I had originally a chart on here that included what the uh, life insurance policies were for each husband and how much it would be today and how much it in total she got back then and how much in total that would be for you know today but I added in Williams into all this math forgetting that William so Deputy Sheriff Virgil Armsby shows up to Lydia's home she's not there he's still able to search because the search warrant allows that he found a barrel with fly papers stacked a foot high um, and fly papers, they're just sticky poison treated strips of paper that are hung indoors to catch flies. They also contain arsenic. And the way you can collect the arsenic is if you boil or soak the fly papers in like a pot and then you just collect it that way. I'm not responsible if any of you guys decide to do this again. And during the search to find Lydia, Virgil's going to where she used to live. He's up in Montana and he meets a drug dealer who says that Lydia bought a large amount of fly paper from him. And so at this point, the police are trying to find motive. Like, why would she want to do all this? And so they searched records of the Idaho State Life Insurance Company, and they found that all four of her husbands had policies, and all of them listed her as the beneficiary, including her brother-in-law. So I did write down what each person was supposed to get or what she got from each person that died and then what it would be today I also put like a total so the total for back then versus the today's total but I included William McCaffold and she didn't get any money from him so I'm going to change my math real quick okay so I fixed my math the first time around I wasn't even going to worry about it like math is math and I just said it anyway but since I deleted it I was like okay might as well make this episode better than last time. So if numbers really aren't your thing, fast forward a little bit if you want to. I just kind of like to see what she would have, ha what she like had and what she would have now due to inflation. I think it's cool to see how much it's changed. So with Robert Dooley, she was supposed to get $2,500. Today, that would be around 64000 William McCaffle, she was supposed, if she got the 500, she would have received around $11,300. If she had received $5,000 from him, it would be around $123,000. But considering she didn't receive anything, it's zero no matter what. Harlan Lewis, she received $5,000 from, so that would be almost $123,000. Um, Edwin Meyer, she was supposed to receive $10,000. And that today would be almost $2 million. And Ed Dooley, she got $1,000 from, and that would be almost $27,000. So, in total, she got, back then, $18,500. Today, that would be $2,127,895.50. 
if she would have received the $500 from William, her total back then would have been $19,000. And if she received the $5,000 from him, it would have been around $23,500. Now, if she had received the $500 today altogether, it would have been almost $2,200,000. But she didn't. And so... Or and if she had received a five thousand, she would have received almost twenty two million three hundred thousand dollars. I hope I'm saying that correctly, but she didn't get any of that money from him. But that's what she would have got if he had just paid on time. See, due to inflation, it would have been way more now than what she got last back then. Um. So in May of nineteen twenty one, I just said um again. I told myself I wasn't going to. May of nineteen twenty one. Eight months after Ed Meyer died, Lydia was found. She was found in Honolulu, Hawaii, and she was married to husband number five. Husband number five was Paul Southard, and he was a naval petty officer. Now, Paul did not have a life insurance policy at this time that Lydia knew of. Fun fact of the day now, military provides you a life insurance policy you can get. And they even do it for your spouses too, because I apparently have one that I did not know about until last year. But Lydia did try to get Paul to take one out. He had said no. She wanted wanted to be his beneficiary. But that being said, at first, when they came to get her, Paul didn't believe any of the charges. But soon after Lydia was arrested, Paul filed for divorce. In other articles, I did see that he waited until after sentencing. But anyway, Lydia was extradited to Idaho where she was arraigned on June 11th, 1921. Her only charge, though, was for murdering Ed Meyer. And the trial began on October 3rd, 1921. Her trial in full lasted six weeks. She did make national news. They allowed spectators and the press into the courtroom. And she was on the front page of the New York Timeline. Or the New York Times. I don't know why I said Timeline. Prosecuting attorney had said in court that the, he was prepared to submit evidence showing that Lydia was responsible for the murder of her three husbands and her one brother-in-law. There were witnesses that testified about the lab test they, um, that had tested positive for arsenic versus typhoid samples in the tissues, brought up the large amounts of fly paper and a cooking pot with traces of arsenic residue, the prosecuting attorney also alleged that the flypaper was boiled to extract the arsenic and then Lydia would put it in her husband's food or water. Lydia's defense team, though, denied this and said that the reason Lydia had so much flypaper was because flies are a big problem. Additional circumstantial evidence that was brought up by a prosecuting attorney was that simply Lydia just didn't love her husband. They also brought up the fact that in all the... Life insurance policies, she was the only one named the beneficiary besides Ed Dooley's, and she was the one who would inherit all of the estate. They also brought up how she left town quickly after Ed Myers' death, and the defense decided that they were going to show the certificate of Ed Myers' you know, death, saying that he died from typhoid. But as we know, they show the exact same symptoms. And during the trial, there was a San Francisco examiner, and they described her as dainty, friendly, refined, and always having her hands folded in her lap. She didn't paint the picture of a murderer. 
So to me, I didn't click that it would be an all-male jury until I remembered that we were, again, in the 1920s. So, and we just won the right to vote. So it was an all-male jury and they were not willing to sentence Lydia or any woman to the first degree murder because that was death by hanging. So she was found guilty of second degree murder, which got her 10 years in jail to life. Now, what I found fascinating was a French reporter had used the term serial killer in an article that they were talking about her. Um, and it was believed to be the first time ever, maybe, which I thought was cool because it wasn't until, from my understanding, we had the FBI behavioral analysis unit that coined the term serial killer in like the 1970s or 80s. So I thought that was cool that it did happen before then. Now, Lydia was sent to the Idaho State Penitentiary and I would love to tell you that it just ends right there, but it doesn't. It does not. Fun fact, while in jail, she became romantically involved and pen pals with another inmate named David Mitten. And while she was romantically involved with him, she became romantically involved with a guard named Jack Watkins. Jack would smuggle in a saw and extra bed sheets. And you might be like, I know where this is going. Well, so did everyone else but Jack. On April 20th, 1920, David was released from jail. And then at the end of April 1931, Jack died of natural causes. And on May 4th of 1931, Lydia would use a saw to remove a bar from her window. And then she used the bed sheets as a ladder to climb down. When she climbed down, David was outside looking for her. Now there's a manhunt to find Lydia. They have no idea where she's at until July of 1931 when police got a lead on their on her location. And that was because David went to the police and he told them that he and Lydia had gone to Denver and Lydia had become a housekeeper for a man named Harry Whitlock. Harry lived with his son and his mom because his previous wife had passed away and soon after Lydia started working for them, Harry's mom died of gastric ail ailment. Then uh, Lydia left David for Harry, and they got married. Harry did take out a life insurance policy, um, naming Lydia as the beneficiary, but it was unknown how much she received. She was supposed to receive from him. I'm happy to report that Lydia did not get a chance to kill Harry, because before she got the chance, she read in the newspaper that the police were looking for her. And so she fled to Topeka, Kansas. At this point, she dyed her hair black. She replaced her two front teeth with gold ones. And she started going by the name Fern Zellers, for her middle name, Rain, R-A-I-N. And so Harry had also read about Lydia in the paper and had decided to help the police find her. He was sending her money, so he arranged for Lydia to go to the local post office, and that's where police were waiting for her. And when police found her, her exact words were, I expected to be caught. And at this point, she had been on the run for 15 months. Harry had his marriage annulled, I don't blame him, and he applied to receive the $50 award that was offered for her arrest since he had helped. And today, that would be around $1,200. I don't know. If he ever got that, 
Um, he did tell police that he was shocked of her crimes because she was a model wife, but he did let them know that she was the one who suggested the life insurance policy. Back to the state penitentiary. She went back to Idaho and, um, she, I wish I could just say again, she just stayed there, but she actually convinced Warden George Rudd for special privileges, which included going to spas, going to the movies, and she was even able by herself to drive to visit her mom who was dying. They also allowed her to have curtains and flowered wallpaper in her cell. Now, why I didn't think that was a good idea was because she just used bed sheets to climb down. So I was really shocked that they let her have curtains. But then I was even more shocked to find out that he admitted, uh, Warden George Rudd admitted to all this and then resigned. Then I was even more shocked that on October 20, October 2nd, 1941, Lydia was given a six month probationary release. Apparently she did really good on that release because the governor issued a full pardon and she, and Lydia was 48 at this time. So I want to say they issued a full pardon because at that point she had been in jail for 10 years and she was only supposed to have 10 to life. So that's, that's why I think they did what they did, but I don't know. So at 48, she moved to Oregon and she lived with her, one of her sisters for a while. Then she did move back to Twin Falls. She got married to husband number seven. His name was Hal Shaw. And he ended up disappearing two years after they got married. That's when she moved to Salt Lake City, Utah and became a housekeeper. And at 65 years old, on February 5th, 1958, while she was walking home with groceries, Lydia suffered a heart attack and died. She was um, buried in Twin Falls, and you will never believe where she was buried. Next to two of the husbands that she killed. Yep, don't know why. And her headstone listed her name as Anna E. Shaw. And that is the story of the flypaper Lydia. Okay, so what I had originally ended off with that Bailey said I said um to match in was number one, follow my Instagram. It's the spooky underscore ripgene mom. I post pictures of the cases we do, so the murders, the victims different things like that, the houses that they were in, that like the murders took place and stuff in. I also wanted to bring up that I am going to only be posting once a week. I'm the only person who does the research in all of this. I could have Bailey help, but I don't think he'd be the best of help. Um, said him. And I know that I wanted to post, I had said I wanted to post at least twice a week, some of these cases that I do, though, are just more information, and sometimes they end up being longer. So if it ends up being one where I can do multiple parts, or I need to do multiple parts, then I can post twice a week. But to get the best information I can, more than likely I will just be posting on Mondays, more than likely recording on Sundays. So this one, obviously, posted today, Monday even though I'm recording on Sunday. Memorial Day Monday, I will have Illinois posted, and I'm very excited about that one. It is Illinois, so you probably know who I'm going to do. And then Indiana will be posted on June 5th. With that being said, 
It's not going to look any different to you guys, but it's different for me. I am researching Indiana before Illinois because there's someone that I want on the podcast with me while they're visiting. They come in this Thursday and they leave the day after Memorial Day. So, May 31st. So, I want to make sure that I have all the info for Indiana done, notes written, so I can jump right into that with them and get it recorded before they leave. No matter what Illinois would be posted when it's supposed to be posted, I'm almost done with the research for Indiana, so I'm going to start Illinois, hopefully today or tomorrow, and then be ready to go to record that before Monday. So it's weird for me, but it's not going to look weird for you guys. I just want to let you guys kind of know. I like to let you guys know what I'm doing. And other than that, I think that's it. Follow the Instagram. Make sure you subscribe and, you know, rate me. Tell me how awesome I am because I'm the best. And if there's a state coming up over a case that you want to hear, don't be afraid to DM me and let me know because sometimes I heard this off of Morbid and it stuck with me and I really like it, but they said sometimes the cases have to come to you um, and really stick out to you. And I agree because sometimes I'll be researching and it's a case that I'm just not really interested in. There's not a lot of info. It kind of police didn't do a great job, something like that. And it's not pulling me in. And then I feel like I don't want to research it at all. So if there's something coming up that you want to listen about get more info on just dm me i will let you guys go you have a awesome rest of your week i love you bye